2: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Tom Howard and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's Wednesday 30th of June and on today's podcast we're all about the British Touring Car Championship. Today, 1992 BTCC champion and ITV co-commentator Tim Harvey joins myself and Autosport's BTCC reporter Marcus Simmons to discuss the key talking points in the championship so far. We're three meetings down, so it's about time we discuss the BTCC and why the rest of the season will be worth
3: following. Marcus, what have you made of the opening races so far? consistently unpredictable as it as it always is really it's just far too early to have a narrative in the championship so far because with the success ballast and the vastly differing tracks that we had been to uh, and then we had the return of the option tyres at Snetterton throwing a bit of a spanner into the works there and just very difficult to see how it was going to pan out A, a couple of fancied contenders having pretty disastrous first two weekends as well but Brands Hatch actually on the Sunday it did seem to slip into a little bit of a right okay this is this is what seems to be happening this season and yeah we've we've ended that weekend with Ash Sutton and Tom Ingram very close together on points and actually quite a way ahead of the, the um, their main rivals um, but that said you know Colin Turkington had a disaster and we've got Alton Park coming up in a few weeks time for the next round and that's total bmw territory he's going to be lighter there than uh than you would have expected him to be because of the ballast and him being lower down in the championships so yeah so it was so perhaps we have got a little bit of a narrative but still wildly unpredictable i'd say and tim yeah all
1: the same <laughs> yeah. uh, marcus has pretty much summed it up i mean when you look into things in more detail Luck has played quite a big part in all of this. We normally expect the front runners, the championship rivals, to be consistent across all meetings, or pretty much. And we haven't seen that. And I've been trying to work out why that's been. I was trying to work out why at Brands Hatch, Turkington and Sheddon, with no ballast on board uh, in the third race, didn't make more progress through the field, because you would expect that. And I think it's just circumstances. So at Brands, we had no option tyre. We had everybody racing on the same medium tyre. Overtaking was really difficult because there was no tyre disparity performance, which you would normally get. We had it at Snetterton. You get it a bit at Thruxton because of degradation. Um, But at Brands, it didn't happen. Um, So when you've got a field covered by 29 cars covered by nine tenths of a second and everyone racing on the same tyres, it's quite difficult to pass. And I've spoken to Turkington and to Shedden to sort of see if there were any car issues and things like that. And there weren't. So I think circumstances and luck and where you've been have played a little bit in the um, lack of consistency. But then you say that and Sutton and Ingram have been consistent throughout the three races. And that has depended largely on their qualifying ability, being able to start near the front. Uh, race two with everybody at the front carrying similar weights or graduating weights down. But overall, you know, you just the things that have really impressed me have been Sutton and Ingram's performances um, over the three rounds. Um, you know, individual performances um, have been exceptional as well, and several we we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. But, you know, to sum up the first three rounds, nearly a third of the way through the season, you know, we haven't got a clear favourite, as Marcus has said. One interesting thing also is if you look at the total number of points scored by the maximum point scorer at each race, at the first race, it was Josh Cook with 45 points. The second race, it was 50 points by Colin Turkington. And then at the third race, it was 38. So, Brands was a difficult race. It was hard to score a lot of points across the three races. And, of course, Colin only got two points there. But we're going to some really good tracks for Colin now and carrying less ballast. You know, he can make that up. So, you know, there's up to 50 points to be gained at every round.
2: It's interesting you bring up tyres because, obviously, last year we only had the one compound throughout the season. And... It actually, I thought, seemed pretty good. Like, people were able to overtake. The racing was good. And at Snettoon, we had, obviously, the two compound tyres. You're very much a sitting duck if you're not on the right tyre. And it's a bit artificial. What, what's your thoughts on, do we really need to have this this two compound tyre
1: situation in BTCC? Because I think last year, it sort of proved that we didn't need it. I mean, actually, last year, I was all in favour of everybody racing on the tire, same tyre. I thought it evened out the racing it took away another um, variable so that we could enjoy a slightly more pure form of racing. And I think on a lot of tracks, actually, that is true. It works fine. But on a track as small and tight as, as Brands Indy, it, it makes for racing to be quite hard. Um, but, so I'm sort of backtracking on where my position from last year. I do like it when it works and we have good racing. I don't like it when we have a, a meeting like Brands.
3: Give me views on that Marcus. I've always been a little bit of a purist when it comes to sport. Um and uh and but then again I'm I my job isn't to uh frame rules for entertainment. So <laughs> um so I so I do prefer to um to have I, I did prefer to have the the single tyre um for uh for each race weekend that we had last year and and um you know and again it worked at Thruxton in the in the first round where they have to have just they have to just use the hard tyre because of the nature of the circuit it was a little bit of an unwelcome intrusion for it coming back at Snetterton you get to the end of a race and think well how well did that person really do or how how badly did they do um I completely take Tim's point about brand's indie circuit though um it's like um yeah watching races there because you're on a 48 49 second lap time and the cars are so even in performance it's like watching slow speed nascar really they're going (laughs) around going around in a going around in a train um and you're just bombarded with cars coming by all the time it's very hard to focus on those individual performances further down the field as well and you know tim actually tim mentioned um that yeah you know, Colin Turkington and Gordon Shedden for example making little progress with no no weight in the uh, reverse grid race at the end of the day but there was one driver who did and that was Jake Hill started from the back of the grid had the same lack of ballast as um Turkinson and Shedden and just um tore his way through I, I can't remember exactly where he finished now but it was somewhere in the low point scoring positions 12th, it or, 13th was 12th or, or 13th Yeah yeah so um but yeah I mean that was the exception to the rule really and and um yeah, maybe maybe Tim's maybe Tim's right. Maybe the option tire would work there. In a championship that's already got reverse grids and success ballast, I prefer not to really have option tyres influencing things as well
1: I think to be honest we're actually only got it because Dunlop Goodyear had some tyres left over that uh, we didn't use last year so we're getting through their stock and once they're gone I think they'll be gone
2: I was gonna say obviously we'll talk a bit more about the the contenders but I think someone that deserves a mention is uh, is Daniel Robottom because he's just been uh superb hasn't he like a genuine shock to a lot of people just how good he is in that Honda
1: yeah, definitely. An, an absolute breath of fresh air. I'm so pleased for him. I mean, people who don't know, Dan, don't know that he was a multiple karting champion at high level. And you don't achieve that sort of success unless you really are good. And we've sort of seen that karting expertise in his overtaking. He's pulled off some brilliant overtakes um, and really made people sit up at notice. I mean, straight away at, um, at Thruxton, he looked impressive. He passed... Um, Plato, I think it was, round the outside, outbraked him into the chicane. Um, and, and, you know, that was a brilliant effort, I thought. It was fantastic. You know, he finished uh, fourth, wasn't it, in that race and announced his presence. And his lap times at all three circuits have been bang on a par with, with Shedden. And, you know, his performance at Brands was absolutely terrific, you know, sticking it on, on pole, out-qualifying Shedden I know slightly lighter but hardly anything I mean that's a really impressive performance and okay he made a bad start but the pressure got to him a little bit but you know he recovered and he's he really showed that he deserves that seat and uh, has impressed a lot of people I was going to say because a lot of people were
2: a bit sort of um, critical of that decision obviously there was a lot of factors at play at Honda there with their driver lineup, and, and you know obviously financial situations but uh, he really has proved everyone wrong hasn't he
3: i thought that the guy at least deserved a chance um he yeah, and tim mentioned his karting ex- experience and uh, yeah when you look back at the the karting records he, he when he was a little kid he beat james Collado to the cadet the british cadet championship and yeah you don't beat someone like him unless you're good and then you know i had a chat with him before the season and yeah i was just asking him about the karting days and he was he was a contemporary of Jules Bianchi and Jean Eric Vern. So um yeah, you know, he's just um for one reason or another, generally finance related, he never really got the opportunity to um to make it as a young man in cars and, and um and he's you know, his um relationship with Cutterclean that's enabled him to do that is just proof that if you if you go away and you're passionate enough and can come back, you can make it work. And what what really impressed me actually was, um, you know, watching at the, um, the Surtees McLaren left, right flick at, at the, uh, the back of the pits at, on the Indy circuit at Brands. And, um, he's, he was absolutely ragging the car through there, carrying so much speed in and, and as, as he admitted, um, it was a bit scrappy, um, because the car was, the car was twitching back the other way after going through the left-hand apex and he was sort of slightly, uh, looked slightly out of control as he was uh as he was running over the grass verge on the right hand apex which generally people don't do they tend to keep it a bit further left so they can get the braking right for clearways but um but he um he was very it was very impressive how committed he was so early in the season in a car that he yeah doesn't know that well and um and the other thing that strikes me about him is that he's just such a humble bloke as well um <laughs> he, yeah he after, after qualifying on pole, he talked about being lucky and, and, and you just think, oh, come on, you've actually <laughs> done a really good job there. You've out-qualified, you've out-qualified a three-time champion teammate um, who admittedly is carrying success ballast, but only nine kilos of it. Um, so um, to do that, I thought was, was really impressive. And the other thing that impressed me actually was when he absolutely fluffed the start from pole position and dropped back to seventh, you would normally expect uh, a relative newcomer in a situation like that to lose their head a bit and just spiral further and further down the field, but he he seemed to um, just calm down and then methodically pick his way back up the order to finish third. So um, yeah, I think I think good on him. It kind of reminds me of of
2: the Ollie Jackson story of last year, where he really sort of came of age and he's he's now a proper touring car driver, isn't he? Like he with those couple of wins that he's had. It's sort of that similar
1: story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's, that is the lovely thing about the British Touring Car Championship, that people can come out from nowhere and, and prove themselves as real talents. And you, you're absolutely right. Ollie Jackson did it. You know, people said, oh, he's only there because his dad's got money, just like they said Robo's there because he's got the Cataclyne money. But you, everybody, nobody gets an opportunity in motorsport without money, um, whether it's dad's money, sponsorship, however it comes about. Um, and you need to get in the right um place and the right have the right tools to show what you could do. The other thing about um about uh, Robo is he don 't forget he didn 't race last year, so you know he 's had a year out as well, so to be at the level he 's at straight away to start of this year, and i know they 've had testing, but it 's still a year away from touring car racing you know he missed, missed all of last year so I think his performance is great, but, you know, there'll be him, there'll be the Ollie Jacksons, and there'll be other people to come out of this championship who, who'll be winners as well.
2: we to uh, focus a bit on the sort of actual title fight now. I know it's obviously early days, but we are looking at a bit of a Sutton Ingram uh, joust, shall we say, and, and I think a lot of people will be quite excited by that because they're two young talents. Obviously, Sutton's proved himself with a couple of titles, but Ingram surely has been knocking on the door and he's close. This is going to be a great scrap, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, what a situation we've got. Um, you know, Ingram has got that car where he wants it. You know, with Spencer Aldridge's engineer that transferred over from um, uh, Speedworks, they've got a great working relationship. Uh, the team have been fantastic. I can't praise Accelerate enough. You know, in terms of re- reliability, preparation, everything else, they, they're bang on the money. They're not making mistakes, um, you know, they, they're they super professional, doing a fantastic job. You know, they've elevated themselves to a level we used to consider was only a level of the Dynamics and West Surrey-type teams. And they're doing a brilliant job because it's not easy running four cars, I can tell you. Um, but obviously, you know, Tom and, uh, uh, has been able to bring that team forward. He's got the car really on the pace at different circuits now. Yeah, he's going to be a threat absolutely anywhere. This is probably his best chance ever of a championship. Um, you know, others seem to be shooting themselves in the foot. And the battle with him in the front-wheel drive car, Hyundai against Sutton, who we know is fantastic in the rear-wheel drive infinity, um, looks set to run a run. Um, I'm not discounting Turkington. He may be 39 points behind, but you know, if he can score 50 points at one meeting, which he did at SNET, and with Croft and Alton Park to come, you know, he'd get right back into the hunt. Um, Jake Hill was leading the championship after the first meeting. He could come back, but I still think there's an element of inconsistency and they haven't got a a, a perfect setup for that car at all circuits. In fact, he was struggling at Brands right up until qualifying. Um, So I'm not so sure he'll be able to mount a championship hunt, and then, of course, the Shedden, but, you know, Gordon is 63 points behind, having already only scored 53 points. So he's a long way behind to usurp all of the others, but he'll get back up there, I'm sure.
3: The thing that's interesting for me is that, um, and, and, you know, just to touch on something Tim said, that the, uh, that he thinks it's Tom Ingram's best shot at a championship. Now, a couple of months ago, you know, after all his years in rapid speedworks run Toyotas, um. Could, could we ever have conceived of that being the case, Yeah, you know, switching to the well, actually, Accelerate Hyundai? Well, I'm going to it. jump in and say, um, Mark,
1: because I which, did think it yeah. was capable of it. Because, you know, what people forget is that under the skin, all of these cars are very similar. They really are very all the same suspension. Um, the Hyundai is a better aerodynamic shape than a hatchback. So he was actually gain again some Straight line speed by moving to the Hyundai. It's set up information. I know he says it's all different and everything else, but you're still working from a a a, a, a work uh, book of knowledge. Uh, so it, you know, I'm, I
3: don't think it surprised everybody. The two title contenders, as they are at the moment, the cars that they're in are both sort of pretty much new last year, aren't they? Um, and 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 that, that's that's quite impressive. Yeah, the the Hyundai only came in at the beginning of last last season um and the the infinity okay that car had been around for a while but it was com- completely reworked um by the hex hexathron people in the middle of 2019 and then completely reworked by um tony carotza at B- bmr the um the ash sutton's old subaru crew um before the 2020 season so um so that um yeah it really has um been impressive that that those two cars have um, come to the fore, and um, yeah, the, the the two drivers are obviously um, fantastically good as well. You, know, you wouldn't you wouldn't really, if if you were a real wheel drive team, you wouldn't really not want Ash Sutton in your uh, lineup, and if you were a front wheel drive team, you wouldn't not want good Tom point. Ingram in your good lineup point. either, would you?
2: That's interesting as well. You make good point there with um, with obviously Ingram moving teams in the opposite direction. Rory Butcher's gone to Toyota, and it hasn't quite clicked, has it?
1: No, it hasn't. Uh... I don't know why it's difficult. You know, there still seems to be some operational mistakes, shall we say, at uh, at Speedworks. Um the car has had some pace, you know, but not always at Sneton. He, he he did pretty good at Sneton. He got a 36-point haul at Snet, which is a good haul. Um, but it hasn't been consistently good and uh I, I can't put my finger on it. Um but I wouldn't say I don't want to say that Butcher's not doing as good a job as Ingram was doing there, um, because the circumstances are different. But the results aren't coming as they would both have liked.
2: Because it was interesting last year, obviously, straight into that brand-new focus. Rory was on the money, and only for uh, some punctures and some you know, some misfortune. He would have been really in that title. Yeah, he isn't? would have
1: been. Yeah, those punctures at Brands really hurt him badly. Um, and... You know, I'm sure there's some great results coming from Rory in that car. Rory is capable of winning races given the opportunity, but you know, a little bit along the lines of what we were saying, sort of at the start of the program. If the roll of the dice hasn't quite worked your way for whatever reason, you know, you you get a you can get a bad run of of results. But you know, he he, he was top five at the very first race at, at Thruxton. Um, so we know that there's pace in the car. It's just whether he and the team can unlock it consistently across meetings, qualify well, get on with a good weekend.
3: Rory has said that the um, Toyota is a, a little bit more knife-edgy than the Ford um, last year, and um, you know that. And his Thruxton weekend kind of went went sour with a with a mistake that led to an accident, and then um, Snetterton, he was very good. Um, and Brands Hatch, there was, um, he, they didn't look, look they weren't really on the pacing free practice, but qualifying was really, um, hampered when the alternator, um, went down and, uh, the power steering didn't work. Um, and, and actually, um, I, I mentioned Jake Hill's performance in race three, but Rory was doing quite a bit of overtaking in that race as well from, uh, from outside the top 12. And um, he came up to finish seventh in that and set fastest lap. So, um, so, yeah, there's, there's flashes there. Tim's right. He can, he'll definitely be winning races in that car. Um, yeah, but, it but just you know, you, you signaled the
1: alternator and power steering problem. I know all teams have problems, but you know, these are things that, you know, if, they were, if there were accidents, people would say, oh, he's accident prone. Um, you could say that you know a team that consistently has mechanical issues is um, mechanically challenged or prone, but um, you, know, you just can't have these sort of things if you're going to mount a championship challenge. The odd one maybe, but not consistently.
2: As, as Colin Turgenton proves, doesn't he? He's sort of just always there, always there, picking up points and gets the title at the end of the day, which is how you how you have to play it in this championship. Another guy that we should probably talk about is Josh Cook because last year was such an awful year of luck for him, but he's still in there and he's third in the championship at the moment and he's obviously started the season much better, but he's just hanging around and yeah, picking I mean, up those points.
1: Yeah, great start to the season. He had so much on the line there. Dan Cam back in the other car for one race with nothing to prove. Um, You know, but Cookie obviously raised to the challenge, won the first two races, um, has been quick all the way through. Um, I I think he's doing a great job. I think the move actually to the Toker engine has been a good thing for the BTC racing team. Um, It gives them equivalence with, you know, Sutton and Ingram, if you like, um, they're never going to be at a disadvantage with the Toker engine. And it is working well in that car. Um, I spoke to Dan Cam after Thruxton to say, come on, Dan, what's the difference between the engines? And he said, really, not much. You know, uh, the Toker engine may have a little bit more at the bottom. The, the, Swind- uh, the Neil Brown engine has a bit more at the, the top end. Um, but, you know, I think it's been good for them to do their own thing. But, but Cookie is quick everywhere. Um, and he's going to continue to be a challenger.
2: Uh, we are sort of seeing, I know it's been over the last few seasons, but it is a real change of the guard, isn't it? There's very much a youth movement coming through this championship, and it's great to see, isn't it? We see some new characters at the front.
3: I think Josh is, uh, is is an excellent driver, and it's easy to forget sometimes when uh, that BTC Honda is finishing 6th, 7th in the championship and Ash Sutton is taking all the glory, um, it's easy to forget that they, they were very much the youth movement together when they uh, when they, they came into the championship a few years ago. Um and um you know, for one reason or, reason or another, um Josh has never really been in a title winning situation. But um what is a little bit concerning for them is um their complete lack of pace with the weight at Snetterton and um and I know that the the team said that um it's in particular it's Snetterton that doesn't suit their car with weight but um but also he, they struggled a bit for pace at brands with um with admittedly a little bit less weight um until um he started coming forward um in the later races in the day so i, I just wonder whether um whether the the team have got enough performance across the season with the very heavy ballast they were
1: the only ones to struggle you know uh, uh, jake hill went to SNET leading the championship and only got 11 points some of that was down to tire degradation but a lot was also down to weight um robo only got 10 points at SNET. It, you know it's a hard place um sometimes to carry weight um but uh yeah i mean you know i I'm sure Cookie can be right up there during this year. He's had two good meetings out of three. He's third in the championship. He's going to carry on being being right at the front.
2: I guess we should also talk about this week. Obviously, we've got the news as a calendar for next year. I know there's not a great deal of change in it, but my my question is, is it about time we sort of mixed it up a little bit? Um, maybe try something a bit new. Uh, I know it's. A, I know some people say if it isn't broke, you know, you don't need to fix it, but. It would be nice to have something Where a little bit to go different to, every Tom, year.
1: A, a Pembrey paying you or something? Have they given you a little bump to, to <laughs> or-
2: You know, I know it's obviously you know it's difficult with funding and everything, but it would be nice to to try and mix it up. Maybe you know, do something a little bit different. I know we had a longer race at Snapton for the Jubilee one year. You know, what why don't why don't we try something a little bit different yeah, look, just to I mean, mix it up?
1: I'd Definitely favour that. You know, I like the the new qualifying format with the top 10 that we do on a couple of occasions. I did like the longer race as well. I enjoy all that kind of thing, and it gives us lots of intrigue, things to talk about. So, yes, I totally agree with that. Um, I don't have a problem with the venues. The venues work really well for BTCC. When we're back to full capacity crowds with the infrastructure that you need, You know, they work very well. And obviously there is a, a close relationship between Toka and MSV, so it's it's understandable. We're going to use majority of those circuits as well. So yeah, I I I think the calendar is good. But I'm all for a, for a, for some different races, definitely.
3: Here's here's an idea, Tim. Do you remember in the old Sierra days they used to do yeah, uh, two driver long distance and, and, races?
1: And in fact, I love all that. It brings <laughs> the teams into play. Uh, you know, you could mandate a minimum pit stop time if you like um, to make sure that there was no sort of um, advantage to be gained. But you could still have the team involved and, and and some great races um some of the problem is in terms of how far you can go on a tank full of fuel because we've only got a limited amount of fuel and we don't particularly want to be investing in refueling equipment but yeah the two driver races were great people asked for night races as well but they're incredibly expensive to put on so i don't think we'll go back to that but um yeah, I think we should have two driver races with the minimum age of the uh, second driver being sixty years old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're, it's going to be we'll never see the glory days of the the super prix at Birmingham or anything like that. It's so sad that we won't we won't see that when you know you know, for example, in Australia with with the eight supercars, there's a lot of street racing and all sorts of different types of uh you know touring car racing long long distance night racing over there but it's a bit of a different kettle of fish compared to btcc so anyway we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future um i guess and uh i suppose we should look ahead to next year because it's quite a big change in the rules with hybrid what are, what are your thoughts on how that's going um is it you know is it going to really bring in any new manufacturers that, that it might be, you know, trying to entice?
1: <laughs> Neither of us wants to go first. I mean, I'll tell you there are rumblings in the pit lane that the teams aren't happy about it. There's a lot of extra cost, complexity, reliability issues as a result of having some more power. Um, so, And obviously there's a test programme going on, but I'm not sure the teams feel that at the moment they're really ready for the expense and the complexity and cost of it. It's a great system, don't get me wrong, but it, it does need developing, and the timing of it off the back of a COVID pandemic is not good. You know, it's going to cost them money. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the political side of it, yes, it's a great thing, and it may int- it may encourage other manufacturers to become involved. So, and it's something that we have to embrace. Um, it's just the timing of it is slightly unfortunate at the moment. Um, you know, I think if it got pushed back a year, the teams would probably be very happy about that, um, but it is coming at some point. I just want the system to be completely reliable, not lead to further costs in terms of gearboxes, drive shafts, clutches, the, you know the roll on down the line, if you like, um, and yes, it, uh, it, for it to help economically by encouraging other manufacturers to come in.
3: I mean, the the, the push to pass element of it could solve our Brands Hatch Indy Circuit no option tyre conundrum, couldn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, with thirty four laps, you're not going to know when anyone's using it, particularly. So yeah, it could work. Could have could have helped that one.
3: Yeah, it's
2: interesting, isn't it? For time for the championship, it's difficult for Alan Gow to sort of play that because obviously. You know, you have to you have to move with the times and try and be relevant, but obviously this is a, it's the worst time uh, to try and do anything. So, I um I don't envy having to be in that position for that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> neither neither of us are brave enough to comment on Alan Galvin. You, know, you would definitely have to ask that one to Alan. I'm I'm not going to risk speaking on his behalf, but yeah, he's he is in a difficult position. But he, you know, he's got, if he wants to get it through, he'll get it through. Obviously, just for a little bit of a
2: fun question at you tim uh i've been talking to david bartram quite a bit and uh he does talk about the the cake club quite often uh how is that going is it still happening does it
1: does there are there meetings no i'm not allowed out of the tv compound so the saturday afternoon post-qualifying cake club meeting um you know where we debriefed over the, the weekend so far hasn't taken place once Um, I mean I've lost pounds you can probably see on the screen I'm massively lighter Um, but uh, no it it hasn't taken place it's um, one of my big regrets about not being allowed in the paddock at the moment
3: (laughs) I'm going to have to um, I'm going to have to bring some of Mrs Simmons's homemade chocolate brownies and do an airdrop package into the TV compound for you (laughs) yeah fly it in by
1: drone or feed it through the fence
3: (laughs) Oh well
2: th- uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll leave it there so it's a, The fun goes. But really appreciate your, your time Tim And your insights into the championship battle this year I hope you get back to the Cape clubs at some point But uh, yeah and Marcus obviously thanks for your time and, and input on what is a really cracking championship Let's, let's be honest at the moment And uh, we look forward to Orton Park absolutely yeah, bring can't it away. thank you again guys that's our podcast for today but before we go here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus Matt Q takes a look at why Formula E is plotting a major change of philosophy I've written the piece on how WRC's new Safari Venture produced a stunning comeback drive from Sebastian Ogier and in MotoGP why not delve into a feature explaining why a divorce between Maverick Vinales and Yamaha will satisfy both parties we think it's the best sport writing out there, but judge for yourself with half-price access. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST, all in capital letters, during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code PODCAST for the 50% discount. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon.